listeners, and welcome to Monsters Advocate. Monsters Advocate is a weekly podcast focused around the unsung heroes of myths and legends, the monsters. We'll take a look at some monster-centric myths and legends, some not-so-ancient cryptids, and everything in between, and try to sort out possible origin species, biological impetus for why they do what they do, and why we love to hear about them. Hey, Scott. Could you do me a favor and add the breaking news noise here? You know, the do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do. Perfect. Dear listeners, I come to you tonight with a troubling story. As of April 2017, a famous Scottish citizen has been reported missing, with the official record keeper citing the cause for concern as, well, a lack of sightings. No one had reported seeing this resident diva in over eight months, which is unusual for a celebrity, even one as reclusive as this one. The keeper of the official Loch Ness Monster Sightings Register, Gary Campbell, had this to say on the disappearance. We're quite worried that there has been an eight-month gap since the last sighting, said Mr. Campbell. Last year was a record year for the 21st century, with eight sightings, and then she seems to have disappeared. What's more, it appears to have been a coordinated disappearance. Mr. Campbell elaborates. More unusually, the last sighting, August 21st, 2016, was of the same thing at almost exactly the same time, but 12 miles apart. It's been said that maybe the family Ness was having a domestic, hence they haven't stuck their head above water since. Luckily, after doing a little research, I'm happy to report that as of May 1st, 2017, the Loch Ness Monster seems to be back, with an official sighting and a photo by a Miss Johnson from Manchester, England. But this almost nine-month gap in sightings begs an important question. In this age of smartphones, where almost everyone has 24-7 access to both a camera and a video recorder, are cryptid sightings becoming less frequent? Who keeps track? And if it's not the cameras, how long is too long between sightings? When can we officially declare a cryptid extinct? Now, I'm embarrassed to admit this, but I actually wasn't aware there was an official Loch Ness Monster Sightings Register until I stumbled across the topic for this episode. Silly, I know, but for a lot of cryptids, I always assumed the official sightings just sort of... languished. In a dusty archive somewhere in an official government building, taken out only briefly for documentaries by Nat Geo and the Sci-Fi Channel. Happily, the truth of the matter seems to be that many cryptid sightings that take place in the present are actively being curated by those interested in officially documenting their monster of choice for posterity. And with how easy it is to make a website nowadays, many of these registers are available for public consumption as websites. And no, I'm not talking about those websites that start playing music as soon as you open them with a black background and the green text. Well, okay, the black background is optional, but at least without the auto music. Now, some databases on sightings are... a little lacking. Take, for example, Wikipedia's List of Reported Lake Monsters. It is essentially exactly what it says it is. A list. And while it does give important information, such as the name the creature is most commonly referred to by, and a general description... 
you may notice that the column designated for first and last sightings is a little sparse, lacking specific dates or even lacking dates altogether for some entries. Even for lake monsters as famous as Ogopogo, the premier resident of Okanaga Lake in British Columbia, Canada, it can be hard to find anything better than 2011 for a most recent sighting date. And I don't necessarily think it's because there haven't been more since then. After all, Ogopogo is described as a 40 to 50 foot long aquatic green serpent. I just think people have sightings and then don't know where to go with them, so they never get reported. Which is a shame, because if cryptid hunters want to prove these monsters are real, they're going to have to start doing a little more data documentation and writing some annual reports. That is, if they want mainstream wildlife researchers to give them the time of day. An excellent example of a sightings database can actually be found, to the surprise of no one in North America, with the Bigfoot Field Researchers Organization, which has a geographic database of both Bigfoot and Sasquatch sightings and reports. Bigfoot is an exceedingly popular cryptid in North America, as evidenced by the fact that shows like Finding Bigfoot, $10 million Bigfoot Bounty, and the very ambitious Killing Bigfoot bring in millions of viewers a year to watch essentially 45 minutes of shaky night vision camera work episode after episode. The database for the BFRO is set up similarly to a birdwatcher's database, with columns for the country, state, and province the sighting was in, the number of times this area has experienced documented sightings, the most recent report, and the last posted sighting. There are sightings as recent as November 2016, and if you really want to go down the rabbit hole, you can click on a state, and you can go county by county and each documented sighting is listed by the class of sighting, A, B, or C, and a brief description about the encounter. If you click on the individual encounter, you can read the full report, as well as information on time of day and weather conditions. Believe me, listeners, they are not pulling their punches with making sure these sightings are properly documented. Now, at this point in the episode, you may be saying, hang on, nerd. I came here for monsters. I don't got time for no due scientific process. Well, fair enough. But let me hit you with just a few more facts. Despite some skeptics claiming that the rise in smartphones has led to a decrease in cryptid sightings, for some creatures the rise of smartphones has actually had the opposite effect. Take our friend the Loch Ness Monster. Despite the eight-month gap in sightings, Mr. Campbell, the official Loch Ness Monster Register curator, said 2016 was a fantastic year for Nessie sightings, which he put down to the growth of smartphones and webcams. In fact, two of the official recorded sightings in 2016 were by webcam, one from a user in America and one from a user in the Canary Islands. As Mr. Campbell sees it, it's just more eyes on the prize. He's quoted as saying, it means that there are more people than ever before are looking for Nessie, which would explain the rise in last year's sightings. And as it turns out, smartphones may help find monsters people weren't even looking for anymore. On August 3rd, 2016, two teenagers, Sam Jacobs and his girlfriend, who chose to remain anonymous, were playing Pokemon Go between Loveland, Madeira Road, and Lake Isabella in Loveland, Ohio. 
Now, the thing about Pokemon Go is that the game uses data based on time of day and GPS data on the user's geographical location to spawn particular Pokemon. And, at least at the game's release, not much was known on what Pokemon spawned when, but it was thought that rarer Pokemon spawned at night. So it's likely that Sam and his girlfriend were out that night looking for rare water Pokemon, when the two came across the rarest water Pokemon of all, in the shallows next to the road they were walking down, the pair spotted what looked like... a giant frog? Which, despite popular opinion, I think would make a cool sighting in and of itself. But then, as the couple watched, the frog stood up on its hind legs, rising out of the water to about four feet in height. At this point, the couple stopped playing Pokemon Go and started playing Cryptid Go, managing to snap a few pictures in a short video before the creature jumped back into the lake. It wasn't until later that evening at Sam's girlfriend's house that the two learned from the girl's parents the creature that they had seen was actually the Loveland Frogman, a creature that had last been seen on March 3rd, 1972, and had largely been written off as a hoax. The two had no prior knowledge of this creature, as the encounter has been somewhat hush-hush since the 1970s, largely due to the fact that the main witness, a police officer named Ray Shockey, wasn't really taken seriously, and as a result, the other witness for that time period, another police officer named Mark Matthews, has loudly renounced his original encounter. And many suspect this is more due to fear of being mocked than an actual desire to tell the truth. I mean, come on, a frogman? A four-foot-tall, hind-leg-walking frogman? You have to admit, as far as cryptids go, it's one of the least threatening we've encountered so far. And I'm including the fearsome critters in that one. Yet this most recent brush with the Loveland frogman illustrates the importance of well-kept sightings databases. Because not only may other witnesses have been too embarrassed to report this comically large bipedal frog without an anonymous database, but this most recent sighting may represent something of a Lazarus taxon for cryptids. Let me explain. In paleontology, conservation biology, and ecology, species go extinct all the time. You have sightings of a species up until, let's say, 1941, and then no more sightings. So the species is declared extinct. And usually that's that. Except, sometimes it isn't. Now, I know many of you are probably waiting with mounting dread and horror, finger over the unsubscribe button, for me to bring up coelacanths. Rest assured, you're safe. Coelacanths don't even have a solid last sighting date before their rediscovery in 1938. People just kind of assumed they had gone extinct in a sort of out-of-sight, out-of-mind mentality, in true human fashion. No, I'm talking about species like the Minamar Jerdon's babbler, a bird species native to South Asia that was last spotted in 1941, but then reappeared again in 2015 without even attempting to explain itself. Or how about the short-nosed sea snake, which was rediscovered in the same year, after they all apparently just decided to leave their original habitat of the Ashmore and Cartier Islands for unknown reasons. Know someone who owns a pet crested gecko, one of the most popular species in the pet reptile industry? That's a Lazarus species too, 
The New Caledonian Crested Gecko also decided to take a break from being seen by scientists, only to reappear in large numbers in 1994. And as someone who owns a crested gecko, I can tell you that sounds exactly like something they would do. The point being, though, without a database with recorded sightings, how does one track when a cryptid species has had an unusually high or unusually low number of sightings? And on top of that, without a safe, non-judgmental space to report sightings, how many sightings go unreported? Have we missed out on decrypting a cryptid species before it's gone extinct? Luckily, people who study cryptids seem to be eternal optimists, and it doesn't seem like there's any danger of any cryptid species going extinct anytime soon. In fact, some cryptids, such as the Australian thylacine, are already considered extinct, and we haven't given up on them. In fact, if you go to a site called the Thylacine Museum, you'll find that despite their acknowledgement of the International Union for the Conservation of Nature's marking the status of the thylacine as extinct, they continue to not only be an important resource for thylacine study, but refer to thylacines in the present tense. There are so many creatures that remain not well documented, and maybe even more who are just playing hide-and-seek for a while. And it's easy to dismiss creatures that have had one or two sightings and then nothing. But what about creatures that have had hundreds of sightings? What about the Jersey Devil, which had hundreds of unique sightings from January 16th to the 23rd in 1909? What about the Stronsay Beast, a six-limbed sea serpent which washed up on the shores of the Orkney Islands in 1808 and continued to have dozens of eyewitness reports and even some seemingly hostile encounters with humans up until 1937? And as long as we're talking sea serpents, where's the database for the Gloucester Sea Serpent? A 100-foot-long sea serpent that was sighted from 1638 to 1962 off the coast of Massachusetts, and from 1817 to 1818, was reported by so many people from so many walks of life, and was so well-documented, that to this day it remains an unexplained event. How many creatures could we know more about if we simply kept better track of them? Thanks for diving into this Missing Monsters report with me, and learning a little more about keeping track of cryptid sightings around the world. As always, if you want to learn more, I hope you'll check out the show notes. Musical score and intro and outro are done by our resident master of music, Scott Ethington. If you like the music, what are you waiting for? Find more of his work at Bazooka Raccoon on SoundCloud. Another small promo, the Kickstarter for Atlas Animalia is still going on, and they're so close to their goal. So if you like monsters, or D&D, or simply fantastic artwork, check it out before it's too late. Go to atlasanimalia at kickstarter.com. Finally, if you like what you heard, please rate and review on iTunes, or consider donating to our Patreon. Every little bit helps, and more support means I'm more motivated to do the best job I can to bring you more monsters. Thank you for listening, and remember, anyone can be a monster. <laughs>